Welcome to Women in Trade, a podcast for up-and-coming professionals like you in the field of international trade. Kelly Kemock is your guide on this journey, an accomplished lawyer and trade compliance consultant who's passionate about helping young women navigate this complex field, equipping you with the tools and resources you'll need to pursue an exciting and meaningful career. You'll hear candid interviews with other successful female leaders and benefit from their experience. It's time to build the career of your dreams. Here's your host, Kelly Kemock. In today's episode, we'll be talking to Cindy DeLeon of DeLeon Trade in Houston, Texas, and asking her about the best way to start a career in trade compliance. There are many different paths that one can go down. If, if it's if it's auditing, if it's you know the brokerage industry, if it's with an importer as a trade compliance professional, I say learn, 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 and from there you'll decide where you want to end up. We'll be talking to her about the organizations and certifications to help build a career in trade compliance and also just a little bit about her work and what trade compliance means to her. So to begin, uh, just let us know a little bit more about your background and where you started and how you got to where you are today. Well, thank you for having me, and um, thank you for taking the time. So, a little bit of, of my background, everything happens for a reason, as they say, but um, I went to to college in, in Chicago and studied accounting, and during the period of my final year, as I was looking for a job, I literally had my resume in the Career Center database and got a call from the recruiter at U.S. Customs. Back then it was U.S. Customs Service. And when he called me and wanted to interview me for the auditor position, I wasn't interested at the beginning. And I said, you know what? I have my dream job. I I had gotten an auditor position at one of the top accounting firms in the country. And I was set to go. And he said, well, why don't you come in and interview anyway? Um, I, I have a feeling that this might be something of interest to you. If you have a family or if you ever end up intending on having a family, um, the hours in the government are much more amenable for working women than um, a big public accounting firm um, hours are. I was intrigued. I was intrigued at that point. So I went in for the interview. And they were interested in me because I took an entrepreneurial policy course at DePaul University in Chicago. And that entrepreneurial entrepreneurial policy course had an import-export focus. And the rest is history, as they say. I, I was very uh, fascinated with the customs position and decided to take that job over the big four job. I did have small children at the time, and it was the right decision for my family as well. And, and here I am, um, you know, 20, 24 years later. Great. And, and so you were, you started as an auditor or um, in what role did you start? So in the government, you know, they have the the general schedule and, and, and entry levels for different positions. I started as an entry level auditor, which requires an accounting bachelor's degree and worked my way up to a senior 
senior auditor and then became the assistant field director of the of the Chicago office, one of the assistant field directors. Um, I did many special projects in Washington for um, assistant, various assistant commissioners and um, executive directors and, and did my time in Washington, as they say. And, um, and then in 2007, I wanted to move south to Texas from Chicago and was going to transfer from the Chicago Customs Audit Office to the Houston Customs Audit Office. But as you can well imagine, everything in the government takes so much time to process the red tape of paperwork. And so I had decided one summer I was going to move. It was the right time for my family to move. And again, constantly trying to put family ahead of, of you know, career and said, no, nope, I'm going to move. I'm going to make this right decision for my family and, and started consulting and said, you know, I'll do some consulting work while I wait for my transfer paperwork to, to come through. Mm-hmm. And gosh, the rest is history. As they say, you know, I never really intended fully on leaving the government. I thought about it. Um, I had a mentor along the way that, um, you know, put some ideas in my head about consulting and, and when customs called me to come back to customs, I was, I just really enjoyed the ability to take all that I learned and knew and help importers just achieve higher levels of compliance in a much more efficient manner um, without the red tape of customs telling me what I could or could not say to an importer or how I could or could not help an importer. Now I really had my hands untied and could really dig in there and, and assist and I, I really enjoyed it. and. I've been doing that for 12 years now. Great. So as an auditor, you you wouldn't be able to provide any sort of like constructive criticism or here's what you can do better or things like that? Not with any level of specificity. So you could tell an importer, look, you need written procedures or you need to build a process around this problem. But you couldn't give them the constructive and detailed um, assistance in telling them, here's some ideas, explore these avenues, or here's an example, or here are the people that you need to speak to in procurement or accounting, or these are the systems that you could employ that could help manage this issue, you know, mm-hmm. and connect them with other service providers and other amazing professionals that that um, have expertise in the areas that they require expertise in. You know, now I can, you know, recommend and I can explore and I can, you know, become a moderator, if you will, between various disciplines within an importing structure and, and be able to develop creative solutions to things. Great. And so that's your, your primary task then as a consultant, you started your own consulting firm. Um, and as a consultant, um, is it, is it just focused on audits that, uh, like your clients are just focused on auditing or um, not necessarily, what is that? Not necessarily. It's, it's funny. Um, importers typically come to Delhi on trade because either one, they've received a request for information from customs and need to respond and realize they have an issue and, and need to get their arms around it and need help. Two, they're, they're being audited and need to get their arms around that. Or three, they're just proactive, which is probably the least common, you know, um, it's most of the time it's a fire drill. So we help importers with 
you know, represent, representing them during audits, with um, um, developing written procedures, with developing systemic controls, with um, all types. Of, with, we do a lot of advanced evaluation because mm-hmm. a lot of the service providers out there don't have the accounting background my team has. We do do a lot of advanced evaluation for that reason because of our, our financial background. If a client is under audit, I mean, you said typically it's a valuation, like an evaluation answers that you're providing, but what are some other typical audits that you see? I mean, I know sure. there are like a verification for free trade agreements. What What is it that you see most often? You know, over the years, that, that pendulum shifts and swings, right? Um, I would say right now, we're seeing a lot of audits in the area of anti-dumping duties mm-hmm. um, with respect to section duties, so evasion of China Section 301 duties. Um, we're seeing a lot of audits on um, valuation. So typically there's two general types of audits. There's a either a quick response or a single issue or a specific issue that customs is coming in to look at. They have a concern, they have a question, they want it answered. Are these misclassified, yes or no? Are these being properly valued, yes or no? Is this free trade agreement supported, yes or no? Mm-hmm. So there's that, right? But then there's the focused assessment. And the focused assessment is the larger type of audit that customs does. And there's a lot of misconception out there that customs isn't doing this, aren't doing many of these anymore. And I will tell you with experience, they are. And it's 2019, it's June 2019, and they are doing these. And the objective of the focus assessment is, is based on does the company have adequate internal control? So it's not just is classification right or wrong or is the value right or wrong. It's was, was anti-dumping and countervailing duties paid correctly. It is does the company have adequate internal controls, written procedures, and the five components of internal control? to ensure compliance with laws and regulations. And that often is, is where the importer struggles because you can't, a lot of importers can't like wrap their head around the internal control piece. They're, mm-hmm. they're so worried about, we have everything correctly classified, you know, but you have to be able to show customs that you have written procedures that cover all five components of internal control and that they're all implemented and that they're strong enough to be considered effective. Right, and so internal control would be things like making sure your shipping department isn't trying to do things contrary to regulations or your accounting department, transfer pricing follows customs rules and all of that, like all these other departments? Let me give you, I'm a practical example type of person. So let me give an example of where an internal control can go right or go wrong Mm -hmm. in the area of tariff classification. So... Oftentimes, a company will have a classification database. So they'll have a list of all the part numbers that they import. And they'll have a a wonderful expert just analyze, get product specifications, drawings, all kinds of things, really research, conduct the ruling analysis, everything. And they put together this database with the correct tariff classification. So then they provide that database to their customers broker and they say, broker, when you import any of this product for us, we want you to use these tariff classifications, right? So a lot of companies stop there. Where they fall short is oftentimes there's um, turnover at a brokerage or um, someone dropped the ball and that classification 
database wasn't used. And let's say the supplier put another tariff classification on their invoice, you know, that wasn't vetted, that was incorrect, contrary to what the database had. And the broker used that. So then you have an internal control, which the internal control in my example here is the database. But it's not truly implemented or effective because the broker's not using it. And no one's doing audits on the back end to make sure the broker's using it. You know, so you have to have controls that are effective, you know, that, um, you know, maybe the the classifications that someone put in the database was done by someone that uh, the employer thought was an expert, but lo and behold, they really weren't, you know, and the the classifications are wrong. Um, So their internal control is really about, you know, making sure that you have a process and that process is being followed and and that process is strong enough to ensure compliance. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I think I, I've been struggling a little bit, like, defining what trade compliance is. And I think you kind of described it really well in that you need to have procedures in place to follow the directives given by customs and, and other regulatory bodies. But then also the second part is you have to make sure that those procedures are followed. And that's where those internal control tests come in and, you know, a, a self auditing and all of that comes in as well. So is that how you would um, describe international trade or trade compliance as a whole is, you know, have procedures and make sure that they're followed? Well, I think, um, in a nutshell, I think making sure that the internal controls have all five components, and the five components are a control environment, which means, you know, do you have the support of upper management? Do you have the right staffing? Is that staff properly trained? You know, those are things that really affect control environment, where executive management sets the tone and mandates that all those within the organization, and not just the people in the trade compliance department, but every department in the company comply with customs laws and regulations, so there's that first component. Control activities, and like you mentioned, the written procedures that we'll do this weekly or this monthly or this quarterly, you know, the written policies and procedures. Um, then you have risk assessment. You know, risk assessment is one of the components of internal control that's often missed. Every trade compliance professional out there is stretched, stretched thin. You can't chase everything all the time. No one is 100% compliant. And so if you don't have a risk assessment to where you can focus your very limited resources on the areas of greatest risk, you're really doing yourself a disservice. Fourth is information and communication, and that's not only within the company, but with with their service providers, with their brokers, with their suppliers, with their um, other service providers, you know, making sure that the information communication is flowing freely and, and well. Um, and then the last is monitoring. Without monitoring and audits and the checks and balances, um, you, you really don't know whether your system of internal control is working effectively. And so to me, trade compliance is making sure that that internal control process covers all five components of, of control and, and that, you know, all five components are adhered to, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. Um, what is your opinion on... Um, automation of any of these processes or where can automation fit in any of these five um, aspects? I think automation is fabulous. And I ask people come to me all the time, do you recommend any service provider? And, and I really don't because no matter how good the service provider, it really depends on the importer or exporter and what systems they have and what data they have. I think there are many things that can 
automa automated. There are a lot of great service providers out there, but I've seen instances where a company will come in saying, we're doing 100% audit, and we're doing it in an automated fashion. We're using the service provider, and you know, it gives us exception reports. And what I have found is that it leaves a lot to be desired because it, it maybe it doesn't it doesn't give you a full picture. I'll give you an example. I had one client come to me and say, "We're doing a hundred percent audit evaluation." I said, "Great, explain to me the process." And they said, "You know, the system and the tool matches the purchase order price, you know, to the invoice price, to the receiving." interested in trade compliance or, you know, complete beginners, how, what recommendations might you have for, you know, getting up to speed, learning, and even choosing which piece of trade compliance to go after? I mean, there's so many aspects of a potential career in trade compliance. You can go into the government as, as you did, or, you know, yeah. industry and consulting, all of that. You know, I love that question because in my 12-year career with customs, I won one commissioner's award, and it was on recruiting and mentoring, and so I, I truly enjoyed it. And I used to actually attend trade fairs, and I, I got the Chicago office to develop a booth for customs for audit positions, so it's a, it's a topic near and dear to my heart. I tell people, don't worry about deciding your whole career now. You know, there are many different paths that one can go down if, if it's if it's auditing, if it's, you know, in the brokerage industry, if it's with an importer as a trade compliance professional, I say learn, 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 and from there you'll decide where you want to end up. Um, a lot of different places to learn is one, you know, studying and getting a brokerage license is always a great, a great thing to do. Um, the National Customs Broker Association, Brokers and Freight Brokers Association, they have a lot of training. Um, the National Education Institute, which I'm very involved in, and, and um, has a lot of training out there. Um, you know, Delio Trade does an annual conference. If I can plug that, you know, Absolutely. in February we do it here in Houston. It's called an Advanced Topics in Customs Compliance Conference, but we also have a basics track. So that's a great place to learn. Um, and there are a lot of you know free webinars out there. Be mindful of who who your speaker is and make sure, because I've gone, I've attended webinars, I've attended training where uh, misinformation is being provided, so it's very important mm -hmm. to know who your your speaker is to make sure that the information that you're getting is accurate. Um, and no matter how many years you have in the industry, you should always be learning. I've been doing this for 24 years, and I'm constantly attending training, constantly attending conferences, 
constantly educating myself. Um, and so it's, it's always important to, to be learning, you know, no matter how, how experienced you are. Absolutely. That's why I like my career so much is that I'm, I'm constantly learning. There's always something new that I didn't know and uh, it never gets boring. That's for sure. <laughs> Definitely. Great. And you mentioned um, mentoring. Now it's a tough topic, you know, to, to talk about just because it, it's something I feel like it can't be forced. You just have to have network and have those relationships in order to, uh, to be a mentor, to have a mentor, um, what suggestions would you have uh, in that regard? I have a funny one, which I, I truly believe is is one of the keys to, to what success I've had over the last 24 years, and that is food. Um, everything, almost every hurdle can be solved with food. Um, I tell people all the time, you know, I used to I used to mentor people in at customs and. I would start bridging those connections over a meal. And so if you know you're in a position where you really need a mentor, you know, and even if you can't afford a fancy meal, invite someone to a cup of coffee, you know, invite someone to a pastry. It doesn't have to be expensive, but the gesture means so much, you know, and I can't tell you how many people I've learned, I've met over the years over a cup of coffee or a glass of wine or, you know, what have you. But there's something about having that face-to-face connection in that moment that helps you um, start beginning forming relationships, you know. And and so I think that's really important. And then and then being prepared, you know, if you're going to ask someone who's been in the business for a long time to mentor you and to provide advice, pay attention when you're there with them. Have your questions. You know, when when you come to a, a table and and that other person can see that you are prepared and that you are truly interested, they want to give back. Most people who have been in the business as long as I have want to give back. But when you sit them down and you're on your phone and you're not really paying attention or you seem bored or you're yawning or you're not prepared with questions, then it really is a waste of a mentor's time. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's so important to be ready and to be respectful and not reschedule and be respectful of that mentor's time. So you mentioned some of these organizations, uh, the Freight Forward Association and the, um, the uh, National Association. Customs Brokers and the Freight Forwarders Association, yes. Mm-hmm. And I am trying to start up a St. Louis chapter of the Organization of Women in International Trade, but I think you have a, a local one as well. Is that something you would recommend? Mm-hmm. At least, not that I'm aware of at this point in time. I used to attend events here in Houston, and it's not active. Um, I know of other OWID organizations around the country that are active, and I think they're fantastic. Um, I've actually gone to a couple of events and heard about other events, and they're fantastic. So I think that's a great thing to do, and I, I really commend you for it. If I can help you in any way, let me know, and I'd be happy to help. I speak at a lot of different conferences and places and, and try to give back as much as I possibly can. So um, I think that's a great place to learn and meet other professionals and identify mentors for sure. And the other thing you mentioned was um, like certifications, getting a brokerage license for importing. Are there any other certifications that you would recommend? Yeah, the, the 
going back to the National Customs Brokers and Freight Forward Association, they have certification programs. They have a certified customs specialist. They have a certified export specialist. And I'm going to give you a name, Federico Zuniga. Federico, we call him Kiko Zuniga. Um, but you can email me offline and I can um, give you a contact if you'd like to. But he'd be a great person for you to interview to get more information about training and about education and um, of the different programs that are very well priced through his organization. Because he, he is the director of the National Education Institute of the National Customs Brokers and Freight Forwarders Association. Right. And so as someone who obviously has, has hired a few people in, in your career, um, are those something you look for in potential employees? Um, are they a benefit or is it something that's required? So the people who work in Delhi Trade, there's 10 of us now full-time employees. Okay. Um, all of the people are either former customs officers like myself, former customs auditors, assistant field directors, and the people who are not absolutely have a licensed broker. They're licensed brokers. So they have their customs brokers license and have been in the business for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And so I definitely recommend, you know, and they're also certified customs specialists. Um, so they, and what that means is you get your broker's license, but right now there is no continuing professional education requirement, which is crazy in my mind. You, there should be one. Um, but the National Brokers Association offers this CCS program, Certified Customs Specialist, and that's kind of like a continuing professional education. There are like continuing professional requirements to maintain that certification. And so um, that's something that our licensed customs broker maintains every year. I have a law degree and I have to do continuing education, uh, but there's not education under customs or import export or, or anything to that matter it's it's hard to find a lot of it's around you know fcpa and, and legal aspects but i really uh i'm really looking <laughs> for some uh continuing education and, and well you should come to our conference because we actually do all the paperwork for cle credit and we even try to get the ethic of credit the two hours of ethics credit in there as much as much as we possibly can for you all, so we do we do a lot of that paperwork to be to be able to get um, the CLE in the different states. You Excellent. Know, um, for our February conference. So advanced topics in customs compliance in Houston, yep, ATC, right? Mm-hmm. In yes. February next year, twenty twenty. In Houston, yep. Great, and CLE credit in some states. Definitely looking into that. Thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> So you touched a little bit on, you know, my next question was to whether, you know, people needed to choose a specialty or, you know, am I going into import? Am I going into export? Um, how do I, do I have to know both uh, or do I just learn on the job? You, you kind of touched on it, like go where your career takes you and you learn what you can, where you can. Is that kind of your take on that? Well, I think it really depends on where you start. Most people do one or the other, not both. There are people who do both, and wow, they're incredible people. Because to, to be to be both to me is like being both a heart surgeon and a brain surgeon all at the same time, which it's rare. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I think that you you need to decide which which you like. Um, it takes a certain personality to be a compliance professional because there's so much detail. 
And if you're not a detailed and meticulous, detail-oriented person, you're probably not the type of person who would enjoy a career in compliance, you know. Um, but I think that a lot of the people that I know start out in a brokerage, um, just helping with the paperwork for import transactions and writing entries and kind of move up from there into working for an importer or an exporter, just helping process transactions. A lot of people start logistics and move into compliance, you know, um, and learn. But I think, I think the learning should be a little bit more structured. Um, I think as, as, as people move into greater areas of responsibility, should look for formal training in in different areas to help them um, not struggle so much. So if they're now responsibility over tariff classification, then they should learn about tariff classification in a structured fashion. If they're asked difficult questions on related party valuation, then they should take courses on related party valuation, read the regulations, read customs informed compliance publications and the like, and not just learn one of the things I caution people is, so this is what we've always done, you know, that's one of the things I, I it just drives me nuts. Well, this is the way we've always done things. Mm-hmm. And and that's something that I, I always recommend to people push back on that. Um, have have um, people explain to you why, what is the legal basis for doing things this way? And if you're working for someone that doesn't give you um, a reason why, and that's probably, you know, your first indicator that the, the longevity of that position is probably not the best thing for you. So you mentioned that you have an accounting background and you say that people in logistics or interested in supply chain could also look into a career of trade compliance as well. And and I have a legal background, so it seems like there's a lot of different backgrounds that can jump into, you know, this career field. And the legal background is, is fabulous. I know a lot of people who are um, in director-type positions, you know, or chief compliance officers that have the legal background and are, you know, fully immersed in all things trade. And so I think I see a lot of people with um, supply chain degrees, with um, accounting degrees or finance degrees or law degrees, in trade compliance, and then there are people in trade compliance that don't have, you know, um, a college four-year degree. They've really just learned at the school of hard knocks and, and coming up and having experience in the industry, and that's fine too, you know. So I think it's really just a matter of continuing education and um, and making sure that your skill set and your background is well suited for your responsi- responsibilities. Great. That was all the questions that I had. Was there anything else, uh, any suggestions or, or advice you might have for our listeners, OIT members who currently practice in trade, and then um, possibly you know people interested in international trade as well? You know, I guess I guess the only advice or, or thoughts I have is I think I think of you know being a woman in in business, right? Being a woman either in trade. I'm also a small business owner. Um, and I'm also in Houston, which is, is a big oil and gas city. And it's, a, it's very well known for, for you know, being a good old boy type of club. And, and I think, how have I navigated those complexities or those challenges? And, and I think that 
because the advice I try to give my my group is to is to be true to yourself and to be you know mindful of your tone and, and of, of building a relationship and building a rapport that you know getting upset or, or getting aggressive never solves anything and that it's about establishing respect and making sure people understand how hardworking you are and how prepared you are and how informed you are and and that's how you win people over um not not through you know any type of adversity right Mm -hmm. and so i think as women you know believe in yourself and all things are possible absolutely all things are possible well, we can end on that. That's a really great note there. I appreciate your time and um, your advice and your your openness to uh, to help up-and-coming people. My pleasure. Thank you so much for the invitation. Thanks for listening to today's episode. You can always find us on Twitter at Trade Podcast. Also on LinkedIn, Women in Trade Podcast. And we have a website, kellycomack.wixsite.com slash women in trade.